Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm very excited about all of the information that you're going to share with me and our listeners today. So can you go ahead and introduce yourself and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure, my name is Scott W. Campbell. I say W because there's a few Scott Campbells around here. Um, and um, I am a professor of uh, new communication technology. I'm in the Department of Communication and Media and I've been here since 2005. Um, as a faculty member. And most recently, I have uh, stepped into the role as the chair of the Department of Communication and Media just this summer. Congratulations. Thank you. In what areas does your research focus? I am actually very centrally focused on mobile media. I characterize myself as a scholar of mobile and social media. Um, I think today it's fair to say that most of social media now is mobile media, that they've kind of converged. But my starting point was mobile. I worked in the mobile industry. And so I look at the ways that everyday life, the little boring mundane parts of everyday life um, that, that do make our lives meaningful, how those things are different with mobile media now that we can connect with people between and beyond our places of destination. That's a totally different thing for humans to be able to do like this. Very fascinating focus area, especially given the last um, year and a half of a global pandemic that has kept so many people physically apart from one another. So I'm sure that there's a lot to talk about there. But what I'm really excited to dive in about today is the upcoming Tokyo Olympics. Sure. And of course, there are many aspects of the Tokyo Olympics that are unique this year. But can you explain a little bit about how the communication and media space will be different from previous Olympic events? Yeah, I think that we're seeing, um, well, we're always seeing a big change in the Olympics. I think every, you know, ever, ever since the Olympics have been offered, changes in communication and transportation, you know, have, have fundamentally changed the Olympics throughout history, you know. Um, people, you know, taking boats versus trains versus planes, and now people experiencing the Olympics without even going there, right, you know, through radio at one point in time, and then eventually television, and now, you know, we get to, we get to do it through the internet and through our mobile media. What's going on right now is interesting, I think, because the telecom companies are trying to get us to shift to a new fifth generation of infrastructure with mobile media, and this is what I'm paying attention to when it comes to the Olympics is the advertising of that, because they're, they're suggesting that, you know, if you've heard of 3G and 4G, those third generation, fourth generation, now 5G is supposed to offer this ex extremely new um, level of what they call low latency, which is just meaning more instantaneous processing of data. And they're, they're offering all kinds of new kinds of uh, ways of connecting with the Olympics so that spectators can take part in the Olympics through augmented reality and through virtual reality, through headsets and things that put them, you know, into the water with the rowers and put the metrics of the hockey stick right in front of their eyes in three-dimensional, you know. But the truth is, is that these things are only available on a very limited demonstration basis right now. And so honestly, my opinion is that most of us are going to experience these Olympics, for the most part, 
kind of like we experienced the last Olympics when it was 4G. The only difference is, is that I think we're gonna see more streaming. We're gonna see more visuals. We're gonna see more video. We're just gonna see more of the trends that I think we saw with social and mobile media before. What I think is interesting though, is that if you really pay attention to the advertising, the telecoms are suggesting something else and we will get a taste of it, but not very many of us. Very interesting. So that role of augmented reality and 5G are um, so new, but there are there are some people you think that will get to have these experiences or have have um, some of those interactions in that way. Yes, and of course it's going to, um, in a way, kind of you know exacerbate the digital divide because you know we saw that I think it was yesterday that Jeff Bezos got himself into space, right? Good for him, and he's celebrating that. Well, great, you know he can afford to get himself into space. Well, there are going to be people who can afford to sit in the front rows of the Olympics, and those are the people that are going to get a chance to put on the augmented reality headsets. I'm sorry, to put on the virtual reality headsets. There's a difference. Virtual reality, you put the headset on and you're immersed. Augmented reality is where they're layering digital information and graphics on top of something real. And so they're offering both of those, but only for people you know, who are able to get themselves situated in there. Um, most of us actually can't even afford 5G right now. And for the most part, 5G is not, not that, that transformative, but I think it will be in about five or 10 years. And that's what I'm keeping my, on, my eye on is what's really going to happen when when we are starting to use drones to deliver our pizzas using 5G technology to, to manage the traffic in the air and things like that. I'm really excited about that. And right now I'm just paying attention to what's being promised. And there's a lot of promises, but yeah, truthfully, regular people like, like us, you know, really won't get a taste of it, but we sure will get to see how the, the more privileged people are experiencing it, I'm sure, you know, through TV and and through social media and things like that. So I think that we should be um, looking out maybe for some Olympics down the road where things will be truly different. And, and so will our commutes to work and all that. Um, but right now I think it's gonna be kind of just a continuation of the trends that we've seen with just more data, more streaming, more visuals, um, that kind of thing. More second screening, you know, that was a big trend in the last Olympics that was really taking place as a, a new thing. And so I think people are going to be using multiple screens who are interested in the Olympics anyhow, if the, if the people are, are interested in those. And I think that these kinds of things are starting to bring the world back to life and back together. And so I do think there is some enthusiasm for it. I want to hone in on um, the the aspect of social media and the role that it plays during events like this. So what are the benefits that you see of increased social media usage during major world events like the Olympics? Yeah, well, you know, you asking me that question makes me think back to the 1972 Olympics in Munich. I was, um, you know, too young to remember. I was around, but I was too young to remember when, when Frank Shorter won the gold medal for the United States at the marathon in the 72 Olympics. But, you know, he did that after... Um, after there was a terrorist event um, and, and there was, you know, people taken hostage and people were killed and it was an absolute disaster, right? And that was brought to our living rooms through television. And I think that um, now what we're experiencing is it, it took an event like that, I think, for everybody to really come together in 1972 to appreciate what was going on in the Olympic Village with those athletes that were taken hostage and with the situation on the ground at that time, right? Um, and I think now, you know, there's a lot of, I want to say, smaller things than that that are going on with the Olympics 
that we are all plugged into, right? Um, if somebody has COVID, we're going to find out, you know, it's going to be a big global event. If somebody has COVID and can't, you know, participate in the Olympics, or if somebody says the wrong thing, you know, it used to be like, in the, I think it was the 64, 68 Olympics where, you know, the, 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 the sprinters raised their hand in defiance, you know, for black power, right? Those kinds of moments are very touching and create goosebumps. And it used to take those kinds of moments really to, to I think, bring the Olympics to, to the fore. And I guess what I'm saying that is different today is that now we can have our little scandals that happen. Somebody gets mugged at the Olympics or fails a drug test. And we, we are intimately and immediately involved in that kind of gossip and rumor and, and updates and news because social media is you know, so pervasive and, and it gives people a chance to not only share the information, but to also, of course, make comments and judgments about the things that are going on. And people do like to make their comments and offer their judgments on social media, as you know. And so carrying on that thought, are there any concerns or consequences associated with the level of social media usage and access? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've always had, I think we're kind of circling around the notion of trolls now. And I think that we've always in our society had trolls. I really do. I think we've always had um, jealous people who are trying to bring other people down because it's the only way that they feel like they have control or power or influence, whatever, whatever the pathology of a troll is. I think it's always been there. I just think that these types of people now have greater access to the media. And I think that it is an increasingly concentrated problem. One of the weird things about social media is that it has the capacity to amplify, amplify anybody's voice. I don't think the world, I'm an optimist, I don't think the world is full of more trolls than it was before. I think we have a small number of just nutty little voices out there, you know, that are like this and are going to freak out and blame and judge, you know, the person who got COVID or the person who broke curfew hours at the Olympics or the person who raised their hand in social defiance, right? We're always going to have people like that. It's just that they have greater access to the media and their voices are so much more amplified sometimes now. They can get more traction because it's a horizontal flow of communication. It's not like some big social institution like NBC with the purse strings that decides whose voice gets to be heard. It's whoever has the trolliest, charmingest, cleverest um, quip these days sometimes that gets to be heard. And I think that that obviously is a concern. And that's a concern that we've seen in the previous Olympics, you know, with, with other Olympic, you know, um, uh, athletes getting um, shamed and, and stigmatized for things that they experienced. And, and I think we're going to continue seeing that kind of thing. Speaking of amplifying voices, I want to ask you about that in regards to Olympic athletes themselves. What impact does the ability for them to amplify their own voices have on society? Oh, a great impact, I think. Um, and it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know. Athletes, Olympic athletes and professional and, and amateur athletes can use social media, you know, to really uh, to, to put them on a stage, to represent who they are, to represent their values beyond just their skills on the court, you know, because they are, like it or not, role models. That comes, that's a baggage that comes along with being famous, you know. So it's an opportunity for that. And I do think that we are getting a lot of positive messages, I think, about women, about women's bodies, I think they're raising awareness. And I think that, you know, they're challenging some of the patriarchy in our society, you know, um, and some of the, um, the privilege, you know, that certain groups have had, and that's important. But it's just, it also makes them so vulnerable. You know, these are young people 
Um, and, and, and these rules are changing so fast. The dynamics on social media are very hard to keep up with. I took four years off of Facebook. After 2016, in early 17, I dropped out. I just got back on. Not only does Facebook look and feel different, but the norms are different. They're more solidified now. It's easier to embarrass yourself on Facebook than it was four years ago when I left. It's easier to overshare and people are more, a little more judgmental. And it reminds me of how difficult it is for these young athletes who are just getting all this attention, right? And, and really achieving and all the endorphins are flowing and all the training and they're just on top of that mountain. And it, it is so difficult sometimes to really, really manage your impression under those circumstances, especially when you're young, especially if you might have a lot of maturing left to do in your life, you know? And I'm thinking about Michael Phelps, you know, went through a lot of pressure, I think, and, and had to go through um, some struggles that were personal in nature in a very public realm because of social media, you know? And so maybe I'm just saying the things that are obvious here, but I just think that these athletes are no longer just athletes. And part of that is because of social media. They're, they're brands, you know? Like people, it's a new thing. Like everybody's a brand now. It's not my generation's thing, but it is a thing. And that's a lot of pressure. It is. It's a, it's a really interesting way to look at that. So do you think that the increased virtual connectivity that we've all found during the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted at all how streaming or engagement platforms will be used during events like the Olympics? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we're going to see some residual, um, you know, I, I, it's hard to say, you know, some parts of the world are in the aftermath right now and some parts of the world are not, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't say it's all going to be universal that we're all in the same place at the same time for, it's going to be quite a while. So some of us are in aftermath. I am, I'm going to stores without my mask on and participating in for the most part, regular life. Um, a lot of people around the world are not. And so it's just going to be hard to say, but yes, they're going to be using, I mean, for not just for this, but for all forms of entertainment, for all forms of work, for all forms of our social lives and coordination and everything, you know, and I think that's a lingering effect that's going to happen because we're, uh, you know, we're one big global, you know, world now. And, and, you know, like the Olympics is a global event, right? And for people to participate in this together, you know what I mean? Um, together. Um, it does take, it does take these kinds of resources now, you know, it does take this, you know, this kind of media to bring people together at the same time in the same place. And that's what the Olympics is all kind of about, you know, and so I do think we're going to see um, more, yes, more, more living their lives in the digital realm. They're more accustomed to it. It's more acceptable. And just flat out, some people won't be ready to go to the Olympics that might have gone. They just flat out won't be ready. They can't. They're not able to travel or they're not healthy enough or they're worried or whatever the case might be. So absolutely. And there's a lot of reasons why we'll see a continuation of this. So I want to go back to a, a thought that you conveyed toward, you know, more toward the beginning of our conversation as we kind of start to wrap up. You were talking about, um, you know, what the next Olympics might be like in regards to augmented reality and 5G and obviously predicting anything about the future of the digital realm and social media is essentially impossible because these things constantly change. But can you elaborate on any of the thoughts that you have about how those digital tools and social platforms might evolve and in turn, how we will adapt between now and the next Olympic event? 
Yeah, I think that we are increasingly moving towards a what a lot of people are calling kind of a hybrid space. Um, you know, it used to be we had this kind of language about being online and offline, you know, and there's real space and cyberspace. You know what I mean? These kinds of distinctions are no longer useful to us, right? It's very unuseful to us to think of it, uh, life in, in simply these on and off uh, um analog and, and uh, digital terms. So, so I think it's more useful to think of a, a life as carrying out in more hybrid, hybrid terms. And I think that's what we're going to see more and more of in the next Olympics is a hybrid experience of the Olympics where people have opportunities to maybe actually be there and immersed with digital information to enhance that experience, whether it be through a headset or whether it be by looking up on a giant screen that has, you know, that is showing cameras out in the ocean, you know, there's a race or something, a boat race going on, or, you know, maybe there's a hockey match with little micro cameras in the net, you know, like, and you can actually experience, you know, maybe the metrics of the, the swing of the hockey stick or the speed of the hockey puck, or maybe you can actually get to feel a little bit of the pang of what it feels like to have a hockey puck smack you in the face or something, you know what I mean? Like, these are the kinds of experiences more and more haptic you know, I think right now the, the movement is towards visual. It always has been like the internet was very text-based, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you know, very direct text-based, you know, AOL and instant messaging and chat rooms that you would type into. And I think that from there, picture sharing has become more prominent and people are trying to use less words and more pictures and more images. And from there, I think we're seeing more videos now. And from there, I think we're seeing more streaming content now, right? And from there, I think we're going to see more immersive content where it's hybrid space. And this is the evolution, I think, of what we're seeing with mobile and social media progressively throughout the Olympics, is that kind of an evolution where it's more progressively towards a hybrid experience rather than here or there. Of course, of course, the whole thing is going to be entirely commodified, right? Of course, it's going to be entirely commodified. And of course, they're going to be selling us as the product and our attention to advertisers as the product. So I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, we'll be cruising, you know, in these new futuristic modes, but we're going to be paying the same prices that we're paying now. Is there anything else that you want to add or share that we didn't cover? Oh, no, this has been really interesting. I think you're asking some great questions and um, I, I appreciate the program that you're putting together here. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it and the information that you've been able to share today. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.